1: Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you
2: baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball.
1: Hey, thank you, Dave Slade, and welcome to another Baseball America podcast. Sorry we missed a couple days, we missed Friday. Friday
2: was a holiday, so we took the holiday off. We
1: took the holiday off, and uh, so uh, belated Happy Veterans Day, and thank you to all the veterans out there who download the podcast and uh, do what you do and do what you did. And then yesterday was Almanac Deadline Day, and that is a big matzo ball around here. The Almanac has been uh, been cranked out for more than 30 years at Baseball America. It used to be called the Statistics Report. JJ, you Nineteen, have all of them, don't I you? I was
2: going to say, I think 1983 is the first one. Cal Ripken, uh, if I remember right on the cover. I, I thought it was 82. 80, maybe, maybe it was 83 was... that wrapped up the a- 82 season. 82 season, yeah. So, so I mean, and... We, the first, I mean, if you want the history of the Almanac, I think it's, I don't have it in front of me, but I think it's the first seven or eight Almanac, maybe through 91. was 91 before it got was expanded. The, was the small form, which... It fits in your back pocket. Right. Directory used to be that size too. And then you get to 92, and it was expanded to the size it is now, right. uh, with the exception of one year in 2001. Um, and, <laughs> and really what it is, is to me... I love the Almanac and I know that someone may be listening to this and having seen an Almanac at some point in the past and saying, really is that, you know, how much value is there to that? And what's valuable about it is, is, and I use them all the time, yeah, is me too. if you are, they're almost, they gain in value. It, it's kind of like a wine Yes. that if you, the, the minute you get it, okay, look at it and all that. And it is useful. You've got all the stats in one place, it's a little different than, you know, on the website and all that. But. As you go along, the point of what we do with the Almanac, which really the Almanac is, to go really old school history on you, is the natural successor to the Spink Guides right. and the Reach Guides, and I can name a couple others, that go back to the 1800s. Correct. And what it is, though, is is that we try to, in one book, encapsulate, here's what happened in baseball in 2016. And by baseball, we mean
1: Capital B baseball. All baseball. And that's, that is the thing that sets the almanac apart, even from those old books, because it does have the draft, college baseball, high school baseball sections. Japan. And of course, independent, international. I do love throwing my Taiwan uh, and Korea stats through the Google Translate and try to figure out, oh, wait a minute, that player is actually Tyler Lumsden. Yes. <laughs> you know, because his nickname in the Chinese Professional Baseball League is something else. So that's where I found the Pat Mish feature last year where he pitched in game six in relief and then threw a perfect game in game seven of the championship series so and that's where you find all kinds of goofy stuff in indie ball and as you wrap up the minor league season so it is a uh it's a it's an important book for us and uh, if you're a baseball america fan i'd recommend it and like you said five years from now uh if you want to go back and see what else happened in 2016 uh, besides the Cubs winning it's, the World Series. There's a, first, it's we'll a recount time the Yeah, we'll recount the Cubs winning the World Series. But, you know, oh, that was a year where home runs were really high. Why was that? Or, oh, that's a year when uh, there really weren't great pennant races, but what were the wild card races like? We wrote about that. So uh, there's a lot in there. And there's a lot in the last issue of Baseball America, which we're in the middle of top 10 season. Top 10 American League East, top 10 American League Central are out. And we're going to talk American League East today with the Boston Red Sox, JJ, and there's a you know, the story of the Boston Red Sox in 2016, I guess the big picture story, JJ, as the off-season has started to unspool a bit, is this is Dave Dombrowski's organization. And yes. unquestioned that he put his stamp on it in 2016. And that means the Red Sox, A, it means they won because usually Dave Dombrowski's teams get headed north in the standings. Um, second of all, it means that uh, this is a little bit leaner front office. With Mike Hazen, who was his general manager to Dombrowski's team president, departing. It's a lateral move in a way. He went to go be general manager in Arizona, but he's in charge now in Arizona. That was not going to be the case with, in Boston. With Tony LaRusso pushed off to the side as chief baseball analyst, not chief baseball officer. Slight <laughs> slide change. But yeah, he doesn't report to anybody now. He reports to ownership now. In Boston, he reported Dave Dombrowski, and that, you know, I, if I were Mike Hazen, I'd have done the same thing. Amiel Sade, who had been scouting director for Boston for this incredibly successful 2011 draft, among others. What One of the wildly I mean, successful drafts. When we
2: say wildly successful, that has a chance to go down as one of the all time great drafts.
1: It does, because it was so deep. We'll get into that a little bit more. And then, so uh, those two guys gone to Arizona and no general manager to replace Mike Hazen. There's a team president. Now, Eddie Romero pre- uh, uh, promoted. He's still in charge of the international operations, but he's also. Uh, assistant general manager and Amiel Sade who was kind of over scouting and player development. Now he's gone, not replaced. Mike Rickard, scouting director. And we also, so there's, there's a leaner front office, JJ. That's a little bit more of a win now uh, approach, uh, which nothing exemplifies that more than trading Anderson Mm Espinosa for Drew Pomerantz, but which we can get into, but uh, you know, this is an organization to me, JJ, that, uh, you know, it's a it's a top heavy farm system, and it was last year. It's even more so this year,
2: right? And I do think, and I'll, as we go through this, one of the things that jumps out to me is, is I do feel like that this is a farm system that is very well suited to who the Red Sox are. Yeah, and what I mean, under Dave Dombrowski under Dave. But what I mean by that is is that what you do have a problem almost. It's not a problem, but if you are a big market team that expects to contend every year. That doesn't have, if you look at the Red Sox right now, this is one of those when you do a 2020 lineup, it's a lot easier than when you're yes. doing the 2020 lineup, say for like the Royals that I had to do, <laughs> where you're like, none of these players are gonna be here. Right. Well, when you look at the Red Sox lineup, you look at their outfield, and now that Jackie Bradley Jr. has, you know, come Jackie around. Bradley has come around, he should be your center fielder. Mookie Betts is going to be in that outfield at least until he hits free agency. We can right. feel confident. Right. Um, you, you know, you look in the infield. and Dustin Pedroia signed for a long, long time. Yes. Xander Bogarts is there, and Xander Bogarts is going to be there for a long time. He's going nowhere. Like He's just, going nowhere. Even Hanley Ramirez coming having the bounce back season. Hanley's not going anywhere probably for the, at least the next couple of years because of his contract and all. So you look at this and you say, this is not an organization where. And they have some of these guys, but you're not looking for, okay, is that guy, yeah, that guy's probably a fringe big league regular, you know, he's really valuable because, you know, he he may not be the best second baseman or the best third baseman, but he'll play it, you know, he'll play there at low cost. And then when he's done being low cost, you'll move on to someone else. They don't have a whole lot of those guys. They especially don't have a whole lot of those guys in the top 10. Yeah. And that's fine because they're going to go out and sign if they need the. The Brock Holtz and those kind of the world, they can go out and sign you know, a free agent and spend some money right. for another reliever, that kind of thing. What they have is a number of guys who are, um, I mean, Andrew Benatendi, number one on this, and Yohan know, Mankata are two of the top five prospects in baseball right now, I would argue.
1: Yes, I would, I would concur.
2: And then behind that, Okay, Rafael well, Devers is a little bit more of a guy who could be that what we're talking about. But, yes. but Michael Kopek and Jason Groom are big swings. You know, that, that is not... That is, it's 3-0, and Bobby you're taking... Dahlbeck. It. Bobby Dahlbeck. is another guy who... These are guys who... Bobby Dahlbeck's like, it's 0-1. I'm taking a
1: big swing anyway.
2: <laughs> these are guys who, they could be nothing. Right. But they also could be truly impact guys. And if you're the Red Sox... If you're the Red Sox in the draft last year, you take Jason Groom and you say, okay, this may be a little bit riskier. We could find safer picks than this, but Jason Groom is the guy who you could also look at and say... At 12. (laughs) Especially at 12, but Jason Groom could end up being the best player in that draft.
1: Correct. And I think the Red Sox top 10 and top 30 would look a lot different if not for this draft, but I like their draft and I like it... I liked it on draft day, on the first day, when they got Jason Groom at 12, for all the questions about Jason Groom, about the family, about the maturity level, about everything surrounding him. There was but he's a
2: top five talent in that draft.
1: Well, I mean, yeah. And I mean, he could be the best player from this draft class, like you said. If you're, if you're lining up the talent from this draft class, the top high school talents were Groom and Pint, and you can go back and forth. But they were the top high school talents, in my opinion, along with Moniac. And Rutherford, so there's so a and those, those are two and those, again and both
2: of those guys. Rutherford was available, right? And Rutherford's safer, Rutherford's safer than Jason Groove, But yes, he's also almost two years older. He's almost two years older, and again, if you ask me, Blake Rutherford. And again, you don't draft over this. But if you said, is Blake Rutherford, if Blake Rutherford lived up to what we think he will be, I still can't tell you that Blake Rutherford would be better than who they have in their outfield right now.
1: That's and that's an interesting question. Yes, like would he have a better career than a Jackie Bradley or Andrew Benintendi or Mookie Betts? I can't say for sure that he would. I think I like him a little. I think I like his upside a little better than Jackie Bradley's because I still have some doubt in Jackie Bradley's sustainability offensively because of all the strikeouts. But yeah, I like Benintendi and Betts better. And then on the college side, I had mean, to acknowledge top two college guys were Senzel and Ray. And then the pitchers, we, I, you'd put Puck at the front of that. So, um, Jason Groom was in that clutch, no matter how you sliced it, of the top five, six, seven talents, and they got him at 12. So, uh, then you throw in Bobby Dahlbeck and the debut that he had, J.J. Um, This is an exciting upside list. Rafael Devers is at three. Rafael Devers, J.J., has gotten better defensively at third base, Mm -hmm. significantly. Now it looks like he's got a chance to be a plus defender at third base, He's a left-handed hitter who's already been in the Futures game as an 18-year-old. And he's a guy who had – the thing that I think I like best about Rafael Devers is he did not have a good start in the Carolina League. He was hitting 140 as late as May 3rd. Um, and this is a guy who finished hitting 280 with solid power. He th- This was not an easy season for him, but he basically got better every month of the year I'm extremely encouraged. Rafael Devers is a top 25, top 50 Mm -hmm. prospect, and in that 25 to 50 range for me, and he would be a number one in a lot of organizations.
2: It's hard to find a scout who's seen Devers who does not like the way he hits. Yeah, it's really hard, and he's now battled
1: left-handers pretty well. Didn't have any home runs against them last year, but that's a small league. It's a league where you are. you're picked apart. they are advanced scouting reports in the Carolina League. Usually, guys start off well there and either get promoted to AA or they start off well, and then the league starts getting to because them you were apart. you see
2: everyone. Yeah, I mean a lot, a lot. But he's down done this. In two years, he's essentially had he's had. A full season that you add up that's a great season, and he's had a full season that you add up because last year it was started really hot, right. tailed off. Right. This year it was started slow, finished off really strong. As you said, he's a guy who's always been young for the league he's been in. Yeah, And just as a pure hitter, I mean, just as a really pure hitter, the eight triples is the thing that stands <laughs> out to me because yeah. Rafael Devers is not... He he moves a lot better than what you would think for his
1: size. He's not like Moncada, though. But this
2: is not a guy who is uh, turning in four ones as he uh, rounds. You know, as he turns, goes to first.
1: Yeah, he's hitting some balls hard, and he went five for twelve in the playoffs as well. So he really finished very well. I thought he had a really strong season, uh, and is a robust number three prospect. And Michael Kopek at four, I mean, pretty robust number four prospect. JJ, in that first off. We had the story that you did this year on the 105 mile an hour thing. What's your sense? Do you think he threw 105 miles an hour? Probably not. No, I don't think he did. No, I think it sounds like it was a bad charting job. No, I don't think it was bad. No, no,
2: I don't think I don't think it was bad at all. I think that their gun said 105.
1: But you don't ask somebody else when it's five miles an hour harder. Like you don't turn around and ask the scout, "Hey, what'd you get?" I would.
2: Uh, sure, but that's again, I'm I don't know. I mean, again, I don't know how this said I wasn't there that night. Yeah. It very well may be that you were sitting there and there wasn't anyone, you know, that guy charting, there wasn't anyone within two rows. That's something. true.
1: But if he's th- if a guy if a pitcher's throwing four to five miles an hour harder than you've ever seen him throw for one pitch, I throw it out. Right. That's just how, but maybe that's not how they the okay. charters operate it. But again, but the point
2: is he still throws still 101, throwing, 102. Yeah. I think he's touched 103 in the AFL. It was believable effects.
1: for those guys. I, that, that, and that's where I was headed. Is even if he didn't throw 105, it was believable, and it's not believable for 99.9% of the pitchers nine, on the nine planet. 99.9999. Nine, 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 nine. Yeah, of the I don't people on the planet. I'm not about pitchers on the planet. Pitchers on the planet. Yeah. Here's
2: the guys who's believable for Aroldis Chapman, Mauricio Cabrera,
1: Tiago Vieira, Tiago Vieira, anybody who's hit Michael one- Kopech. Anybody who's hit 101 or 102? Jorge
2: Guzman, if for the Astros, if you did that, he's done 103. You go, okay.
1: But did you say Gustave for the Astros there was like 101 it sort of, in the past? But yeah, but but I, I think it's say, believable for a decent amount of people right now, which is if I told you Noah Syndergaard hit 105 one time, come on, you'd believe it.
2: I'd say there's about I'd say there's about 25 to 30 pitchers who I. Show a hand, Otani?
1: Exactly, Otani. If, if, if He's talking 102,
2: so yeah. you know, as a starter. So and if you just said, air it out for a pitch.
1: And that's my point. is It's believable for Michael Kopech. And that is, to me, more instructive about the story is that the guys who are around him every day and are his teammates and are charting for him, they saw that on their radar gun, and they didn't go, well, that's BS. They went, hmm, I can believe it for Michael Kopech. And So the fact that it's... Right, and the realm again, of the possible for him tells you what kind of arm he has. I think it's actually more instructive when you think about it that way because this guy has a golden arm. And in a lot of organizations, again, in some organizations, that guy's their number one guy. And oh, I saying, think it'll... Because he, he has one of the most special arms in baseball. If he, again,
2: not that he's going to, but there is nothing about what Michael Kopeck has right now where you say he couldn't end up being no Syndergaard.
1: That's right.
2: He is a starter. That's right. He is, he is getting to 100 on a regular basis, not in one-inning stints. And it's not, well, we cut him back, we gave him extra rest, and we saw 101. No. Michael Kopek, every fifth day, if you give him the ball and he goes out there, it is not crazy to see 101. It's mm-hmm. not crazy to see 100, even 102. Mm-hmm. And it's not crazy to see a slider that will come in, at velos, that is better than many pitchers' fastball.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's all—it's also not crazy that they're going to be days are going to sit 96. but that's—that's that's what we just saw. JJ, and in the that's World Series. someone who
2: just turned twenty,
1: right? That's what we just saw in the World Series. Is and we just were talking about this off-air, but as Chapman was down seven to eight miles an hour from his peak. He was exhausted. You still got a 1 2 3 inning in the bottom of the ninth of a tie game of game seven in the World Series against the top of the Indians lineup, mm-hmm. a team that won 94 games. That's what this top end velocity gives you. Is a little leeway to not be at your best. So to, to me, right. Michael Chapman was throwing like,
2: 84 mile an hour sliders in that case. 84, 84, 85, as opposed if to his can, usual
1: 90, 92. If you took a guy who threw 93 to
2: 94 and normally threw an 84 to 85 mile an hour slider, and he was doing the same thing, mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're talking a 78 mile an hour slider. That's like, please let me hit that. Even Mike Martinez
1: could have hit that, although I know he faced Mike Montgomery. Uh, the point is, this is a special arm. And I think he's an impact player, even if he's a reliever, which I think he will be a reliever. I'm not knocking him for you know, the chance of starting, but that's just the direction our game is going in. And I think he's going to be an impact reliever. And I still think he should oh, be four even as a reliever, because if you throw 70 impact innings and then you are the man in a bullpen in the postseason, then you are an impact player. and I, that's that, a whole other discussion. That, might but have, it to have is, in a different. But I podcast. Know, that's
2: a funny question, which is, is that if I told you that what if Michael- I told you. If I What if I told you that Michael <laughs> Kopek as a starter, would be a solid number four? Right. You know, what would we say that he would be... Not an ace by any stretch, but let's say that, you know, there's going to be... Let's say that basically he becomes what Jordano Ventura, who also throws hard, That's right. was yep. this year. I was just thinking There'll be about flashes that. of brilliance. There'll be outings where you go, he's in control. Edison Volquez, like a 3-4 guy. Right. He'll eat innings and all that. That will... Again, that in itself... Is, I would argue, because it's hard to find that, yeah. more valuable from April through September. But when you get to October, even if he was in that role, yeah. what it would be is, is okay, and then you would work in some relief innings occasionally, you know, outings. You know what? You're out of the rotation for this. We got an extra. Make him the, essentially the fifth starter. You know what? We're going right. to work you out on the pen this week because right. get him acclimated to it. Come postseason, especially a guy like that who's been stretched out. I would, would be more valuable in that we're going to give you the ball. It's the fifth, right. and we need you to get through this till the seventh. Absolutely. Here's no. three innings. Eat them.
1: In a bullpenning Destroy future, it. that's him. Absolutely. I mean, that's I, I think he's an impactful pitcher who will be a significant uh, player, whether it's for Boston or for somebody else because this is Dave Dombrowski. But we did have J.J. and Alex Spear did the list for us. We had a long debate with Alex the whole time with this process. A fun who's debate. number one? And JJ, we just named this, is, Yohan this Moncada is toughest, our minor league player of the year.
2: This is our toughest so far Absolutely. of everyone we've done. This is easily the toughest. Who's number one that we've had?
1: Yeah, I can't think of a harder one in any organization in the time I've been doing this. To be frank, I mean, I really don't remember a tougher. This debate
2: one. is similar to when you're debating Trout and Harper, like that. That was for like right overall,
1: right? I mean. I guess the question these, aren't, put to these you, guys
2: aren't Trout and Harper. Let me just say, I yeah. love them, but they're not that.
1: The question I'll put to you is, um, how much did September uh, factor in? I mean, like really, for you, Almoncada was kind of a you know green day. It's like I wake me up when September ends. He had a bad September. Mm-hmm. He got called into to the major leagues for the first time, but he was clearly not ready for the major leagues. How much did that affect the decision for you that if you're comparing these two guys, you went Benintendi?
2: What? And I'll do this. I do. I'll answer it obliquely, which is is. I don't think you can just say September. I think you have to say September, October, because as much as what you're talking about, Makata, for me, probably as much as that Good was call. what Andrew Benintendi did. Good call. And how he showed every bit the advanced hit of hitting ability, the advanced hit tool that we've always that we've seen for the last two. When I say always. We saw in Cincinnati, too. Yeah. But really, for the national stage, we've seen it for two years. Right. We saw it at Arkansas last year. We saw it in his pro debut. We saw it all year in the minors. And right. then we saw it. But we saw it in September and October. And we saw it in the postseason. When you say, was he doing quality at-bats? Yes, he was putting together quality at-bats on the biggest stage against the best competition. And really, when it's all said and done... Benintendi, I would say, has a lower has a has a lower ceiling than Mancata because mm-hmm. Mancata is essentially the extreme premium athlete who has size, speed. There's really no Who's, physical attribute that yeah. Andrew Benintendi has that is significantly superior to Johan Io- Mankata. Right, I agree. But when you when it comes down to floor. And when it comes down to the guys who end up exceeding expectations, if you have – if Ben Attendee has a 70-hit tool, which I don't think is crazy to say.
1: It's definitely not crazy.
2: If he's a 70-hit, if he's 70-hit, 70-hit often ends up meaning that your power plays better than expected, that you are – you're more consistent from year to year. And those kind of guys – those kind of players are the ones – when you look back on it and you say, wow, we knew he was going to be really good. But what's, I mean, again, when we talk about Trout versus Harper, mm-hmm. what's been mm-hmm. the overriding thing of that right now is the that. Hit, the hit tool is mightier. The hit tool. Power, Harper has better power than Trout. As good as Trout's power, power is, better raw power has never been a question.
1: Right. And, then, Big, and, and when it played at its peak, Harper's peak power was better mm-hmm. in 2015 than what Trout has done.
2: But even if you're, again, if we're talking the extremes of this. Giancarlo Stanton, who again, exceptional top of the scale power, mm-hmm. but Stanton is more prone to have a stretch, and he's also been injury prone, but he's more prone to have a stretch where you go, yeah, he's still getting you home runs, but that's all he's giving you right now. Right. Whereas the guy who can hit 300, 310, 320 and get to power, it just, it's, it's like a metronome. It's just yeah. here, you get it, and you're going to get it again, and you're going to get it again. And Andrew Benintendi... Has every bit the ability to be that guy who just he does hits 300 next year and the year after, 300 with a 380 on base. Honestly, the Harper Trout
1: comparison is actually apt because it really is It's the difference in a seven hit tool, which you know Trout's a 306 career hitter, mm-hmm. that's a seven hit tool if not better, um, and and that's why I really do think Benintendi is that guy. You know Bryce Harper, meanwhile. Is a career 279 hitter. Yeah, he has a 380 on base. So he, he walks a lot, but it's the. It's, it's the if it's you're the being to, It's a seven versus a six. Right. It's that consistent, maybe a 55. It's that consistent hard contact that Trout makes so much more consistent hard contact. Again, at their peak, Trout hit 41 home runs and, and Harper hit 42, but Harper outslugged his peak, outslugged Trout by 50 points. Mm-hmm. So it's like a grade of power. Mm-hmm. And Moncada has. More power, more raw power than Benintendi. And Benintendi's first, a good runner,
2: but yeah. Moncada's better.
1: When, when I first went into this, I really did think that a big part of it was just I couldn't go with the little guy over the big guy. And not like it's not like a trout. I mean, if anyone's trout physically, it's Moncada. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Benintendi but, physically doesn't <laughs> match to any of these guys. Cause, Benintendi's physical comps are like Fred Lynn, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're comparing him to a big league player right now, it's like Christian Yelich, Totally different body. But that kind of guy. You know, a hit first, home runs will come later kind of hitter. But
2: the thing about Benintendi that he's always done, though, is that the home runs, there's power now.
1: Right. That is the difference. Is that Andrew Benintendi You can't see it because it's a podcast, but from here to here. Right. The, the forearms and wrists power is it's, significant.
2: Again, I mean, we have, we've had this discussion with so many guys. If you, the first time you see Andrew Benintendi in person, the first start is, is you blink twice. And you right. go, that's the guy? You're 14 years old. I mean, again, we Roger got to our Roger sorry. Cater at the uh, BA Gala <laughs> last, uh, last. I mean, where he really was. Roger Cater, the uh, longtime, and I do mean longtime coach yeah. of Southern, was amazed with how small Andrew Benintendi was. He was blown away. You he know. was blown and away. And Roger Cater, who's had a college player of the year, Ricky Weeks, who... A little bigger than uh, yeah than Andrew Benintendi, you they, that is the first thing, and then but you look at the forearms, you shake his hand. It's like man, that is a that is a grip.
1: That's a man's shake. And then
2: you watch him hit, and anytime you watch him hit, you have to say no. You know what? It now again there's it, zero it, it's, red
1: flags with this hitting. It's ability.
2: not 80 raw power, it's not right. But the thing about it is, is that not the raw power. If there's not value to raw power, but the home runs do count the same whether they go three seventy five or four seventy five. Yeah,
1: and the, the, just the consistent hard contact. So it was forty two doubles this past year, thirteen triples, to go with eleven home runs. And he controls the strike zone, and he can steal a bag, and he can play defense. Right. Again, I mean,
2: he's going to be left field because of that team, but this is the guy who can play center. He can, you know, you can put him in right. He, he yeah. can play again anywhere. And it is,
1: it is more of a short term. And you know, for me, when I do these. Uh, prospect rankings, I'm thinking next five years. Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe we should make that more clear. Maybe that would change our thing. For me, that's how I think. I think the next five years. I, I, I'm not I, thinking 10 years. I, I
2: view it as this. Like when I'm talking about, when I'm talking about Jason Groom, I'm not talking just next five years. Because if I'm talking about a high school pitcher and a lot of the times, those guys take longer than that.
1: But his value, what is his value going to be in those five years? His value is going to be pretty high, even five years from now. But
2: but I also look at it, at his piece. but I do look at it as is, I do very much look at it as is that the minute you hit free agency, which, okay, in some cases, we may be talking about 11 years, 12 mm-hmm. years down the road, but what are you going to do in your essentially first six make big league seasons. And you yeah. have value before that.
1: Right. That's the thing is that I judge a, we, dry, like we, we judge a draft five years out. That's what we talk about. When you, and, mm-hmm. that, and that's one of the other reason I pull that out is, well, you could really judge a draft five years out. Well, that's how I try to judge these prospects. How am I going to look back five years later? What am I going to look at this list as? And five years from now, we're going to know the value of these players. They're gonna, they're, these players' career paths won't be 100% set, but we will know what career path they're on five years from now. Five years from now, we'll know whether Michael Kopech is a reliever or a starter. Five years from now, we're going to know if Jason Groom will have shown us that he could be an impact major league starter or not. Usually.
2: but There are exceptions. Because I was going to say, right now, we're five years out from the 2011 draft. Right. And I would say there are guys still in that. just graded that whole draft. Right, you did. (laughs) Yeah. But there are guys from that draft who were still, like, the, the story is still to be written.
1: Correct, but... We do know. We have a, we have a pretty we, good idea. Just looking at the Red Sox draft, we know Matt Barnes is not going to be a big league starter. Mm-hmm. We know Blake Swihart. He has the most doubt. We know he's shown us signs he can hit, but we do not have for certain that he will be a big league catcher. And so his value is lower now than it was even two years later. It's not gone, but his value is lower than we thought it was going to be a couple of years ago because we are not sold on the fact that he could be a big league catcher.
2: But I'll flip that, which is, is that I do think right now if Blake Swihart if Blake Swihart was traded, which it's Dave Dombrowski, if Blake Swihart was traded this offseason to someone else, again, I think with him, his value is still very much on a such a wide range. because It is. Because if Blake he's... Swihart was traded to, let's say, the Diamondbacks, I'll, I'll, which yes. again... A team that I've harped on over and over for their lack of catching. Correct. But if you traded him to the the, the, the Diamondbacks, which, again, yes, is a logical move. There. You know what? We need a catcher. You know what? We had one of those over there. Right. And they probably would be willing to right. trade them. And he that, him. And you put him there and said, here, you're going to be our catcher for 120 games. Right. I think he'd be
1: able to do it. I really do not. That is how many guys we just talked about last week. How many guys caught 120 like, games in the 100 major 120,
2: yeah. But Two. Right,
1: yeah. was it two? I uh, mean, maybe it was
2: one. One was over 130. One over 130.
1: Not this year. Uh, I, I, thought I, was, I thought Salvador Perez no, led the big leagues with
2: 128. No, Yadier Belina. Uh, Yadier, oh, Yadier. Yadier. had 140, I think it was.
1: But I mean, to me, we're gonna use Yadier. <laughs> yeah. So to me, again, his value has been established that he's not what we th- we thought two years ago. He was gonna jump to the big leagues, and even though catching is hard, like if, two years ago, he was ahead of J.T. Real Muto. Mm-hmm. In value, right now he's not. So I mean, like we do but see, know. But again, that but no.
2: But you say I, again, I do disagree on this. We have a difference. Do. We have a difference in that he was Blake Swihart was a young catcher on a team
1: that could not say in 2015 they gave him 78 starts on a last place team. Right, but still, Blake's, and they and they in that season Christian Vasquez came up and they were like, ooh, that we want that guy.
2: And the funny thing is, is that a year later... He heard
1: he had Tommy John, Christian Vasquez. But also,
2: but they right now, if you said Christian Vasquez, you would say, the question that was raised at that time was, is he going to be able to hit enough to be in it every
1: day? Correct, but, and and that answer still hasn't been, we don't know that answer, but this year, I know Swihart got hurt, but coming into the year, they wanted to contend Christian Vasquez was their first choice. That is damning to Blake Swihart. Blake Swihart has to rebuild his value. Five years from now, again, I'm not saying he's done as a catcher, right. J.J., but we do know that his value right now in the industry is not – he is not valued as an everyday but, catcher. But my, my point on making I'm making though is when
2: you compare him to J.T. Real Muto, the useful thing for that, though, is, is that if you're J.T. Real Muto, the Marlins were a team <coughs> partly because they didn't have a whole lot of our choices. Like, they didn't have three choices, and they didn't have the, the random – you know, 28-year-old rookie, yeah, Sandy Leone Leon turning into way better than anyone ever expected Sandy Leone to be. <clears throat> with the Marlins, if Blake Swihart had been a Marlin, I do think, again, I think with the catcher, getting that chance. I know he got 78, but... It's hard.
1: Catchers need more time to develop. But I'm just saying, yeah. I don't think it's a question that in the industry... Real Muto greater than Swihart. Oh, I wouldn't disagree. That's, that's what I'm yeah. saying is that his value you cannot call Blake Swihart an everyday catcher right now. No, you can't. And that's all I'm saying. Yeah. So five years so, so he could be right. But his value, he, if you're I, selling, if the Red Sox sell on Blake Swihart, they're selling they're selling low. Right. Same thing with Henry Owens, who's the next player picked. Jackie Bradley, we, we've seen he's been down, he's been up, but right now, Henry five Owens years from now we've be... seen he has a he he does fit the profile of an everyday center fielder on a championship-caliber mm-hmm. team. Absolutely. He's shown us that. williams Perez, you know, has been converted to, the pit, to pitching. So has Jordan Weems. So their second and third-round picks drafted as position players, both converted to pitchers. Noy Ramirez, we know he's an extra guy. He's an extra reliever. Mookie Betts, he's, we, we, he's, know. He's we know. He's a star. Travis Shaw in the ninth round. This is a great draft. I just want to you know, uh, point that out. I also love that they drafted a pitcher that year named Andrew Jones. I just think that's just interesting to note that they uh, drafted Andrew Jones that year. Um, but to me, five years from now, especially with these guys are in pro ball, you can know what they're going to – You, you have a, again, you know where their career path is going. Swihart's an exception. So for me, in the next five years, mm-hmm. Andrew is going to run up more war – Joel Moncada. I He's so. more ready for the big leagues. He has less risk to me. And
2: he has a clear position where we don't. That's the other thing with Moncada. That's another
1: part of the risk with Moncada. That is part of the risk he, is where does he play? It's not that he doesn't have positions
2: he could play. Yes. He doesn't have positions that you can clearly play in Boston. Second base. If you said yeah. where does he fit best, second base or center field, those aren't really options. Or awesome. left field, yeah. yeah. I mean, or in left
1: field. The guy who was hitting left on left home runs in the postseason is ahead of the guy who in September was strike swinging and missing at everything. So for me, Moncada needs another year in the minor leagues.
2: Mm-hmm. I think he or needs at least the, Or at least a half season. At least
1: a half season to show the continued progression. And the reason he won minor league player of the year is that he showed the progression. Yeah, the strikeouts went up, but so did the power, so did the production. The other th- argument in Moncada's favor, JJ, is. I've, I we, we've talked about this on podcast before, the stars are unique. The stars are harder to find comps for. I just go back to Bill James' similarity scores. Mm-hmm. The stars have the lower similarity sco- scores because they are unique and who, they are less comparable was it that to others. you were looking
2: up yesterday that was like, wow, there's all kinds of similarities. I scores. forget
1: who it was, but the, somebody it was a picture. It was a picture, and all the similarity scores were in the 980 and up range. <laughs> it was like... like Talk about dime a dozen. You are, I mean, and hey, big league dime a dozen is awesome. It's the best dime a dozen in right. our world, you right. know, but still dime a dozen. But, you know, Moncada, there's no one comparable. Switch hitting, physical, power, speed, well, middle infielder, his, I mean, who on earth is that? It's like he's Frankie Frisch. I mean, like, is that who we're comping him I, to? I, I mean... And what point is making a comp to someone from the 1920s? I mean, I really can't But think no, of I, I mean,
2: we've both probably heard Robbie Alomar? I, I know... He's more physical. Right. I, I know that I've... Uh, and probably
1: less polished.
2: I know I've heard what... I've heard, and I've heard this from multiple guys from Cuba, but the saying you get is is. This guy in the U.S. is not playing baseball. Right. He's playing... He's if a middle Mankata, linebacker or running back. Right. If Yoan Mankata had grown up in the U.S., the, the general idea is, is he is someone who, with his body type, he would have been a five-star recruit. It may have been coming out of high school, it may have been five-star athlete where it's like he could play yeah. linebacker, he could play safety, he could play running back, I mean, he mean, play wide a, receiver. We
1: listen. him as 6'2", 205. If he grew up in this country... I think he would have been 6'2", 225 by now, and he'd be like Melvin Gordon or someone like that. And that the guy, the mm-hmm, Wisconsin mm-hmm. running yeah. back, is tearing up the NFL right now. or you know, I mean, he's bigger yeah. than Ezekiel Elliott. But but, I mean, that, like, but that's what you're talking that's about. That's
2: the kind of body you see. That, and, and he is. He's he got is, traps upon traps and he delts physical. upon delts. And, and that is one thing. When you say, like, what value is he going to provide, one of the things that he does provide is also he has a chance to be a very valuable base stealer. Correct. Volume, but volume with, uh, you know, the, the first two years. when he They had a stretch in the salary league last year where, yeah. where it was a month where it was like he reached, he was standing on second.
1: Speaking of football, you're not going to get him. That's yeah. basically what he did for a I mean, while. He was
2: something where it didn't matter. Nope, he was going to be on second. Yeah, 452 he has the last feel, year. He has the feel to steal. He has the understanding to steal that goes with the speed. It's not something where he's just... The, I really do think it's hard to find the guys who can steal bases, steal bases from the first. Correct. You do not. You, you, we will. It's harder to manufacture. It, you can, but yeah. But you've read in Baseball America, I understand, over the last 35 years, many a time, a coach saying once he learns how to read pitchers, yeah. he, then he's really going to take off. But the thing about it is, is the that exception.
1: Actually, that actually only happens to me with the guys who are average runners. The really fast guys where it came easy at first, but they were inefficient base stealers, those guys usually don't seem like they learn. You know? to, to I could be wrong. The but.
2: thing that stands out to me is is that the guys who are, when you talk about the best base stealers, they were the best base stealers on their rookie ball team. Yeah, They were the best base stealer in the league in the Sally League, in double A, AA, in triple A. They
1: were the guys who were fast, but could still do what we just saw Kyle Schwarber do in Game 7 where he just stole second base. He wasn't even being paid much attention. But, or Albert Pujols even now. Right. Even but though. again, I'm not
2: even talking about the average speed guys with spike of right. base. No, That's completely... I'm talking about the Billy Hamiltons, the D Gordons, right. the Terrence Gores of the world. Guys who
1: had speed and feel.
2: Right. Those guys had it from day one. Quinton Barry had it. Yeah. It's not something where you get to age 24 and the scales fall from your eyes and then all of a sudden right. you understand the matrix and you go, now <laughs> I know how to steal. Right. Now, can you... A good base roaching running coach... Help a guy get to that next level, sure. Yeah. But for one of the things, the other part of it is, is that, and we saw this all in the playoffs. Every time that John Lester's on the mound, there is a certain amount of base stealing that is an arrogance that most players also do not have. Yeah. There has to be. It's the guy who doesn't have the fear of being caught. It's the guy. Who, it's Rajah Davis being able to take the three more steps. Yeah. Because it's like you know what, if John Lester somehow in the next minute figures out how to throw to first base. I'm going to be thrown out and that's okay. Right. And it's Francisco Lindor going, I know I could maybe go two more steps, but I don't feel comfortable out there. I'm going to steal, but I'm going to steal
1: from my normal spot. It was amazing to see really against Lester like again, Roger Davis. This is a, this is how you... right. Roger Davis
2: always was able to steal bases. Right. Roger Davis was able to steal bases when he was a 38th or around whatever pick, in low A and high A. That's the the first thing that stood out to me about him was, like, this guy steals bases at an amazing percentage.
1: Roger Davis' lack of arrogance on defense cost the Indians a run when Chris Bryant tagged up Mm -hmm. on him. I mean, like, it was plainly obvious that at age 36, he knows who he is as a player. He knows what he's good at. He knows what he's not good at. One thing he's good at, stealing bases. He has 365 career steals. He's been caught 93 times. He's good at stealing bases, but in the minor leagues, just like you said, J.J., uh, from day one. What did he do
2: in the Carolina? I think it was uh,
1: Carolina. Well, just in the, just in the Rookie League, in the GCL, he stole 24 bags in 30 tries. Hickory, 40 steals in 53 tries. Carolina League, 57 steals in 72 tries. That's so, the one
2: that, that was the year that really stood out to me.
1: And AA, 45 out of 54. So he just kept even getting better and better. But, so, But, again,
2: it was volume and with a good percentage from day one,
1: yeah, and that's, and I, I agree with and I that. And I think that Mankata I think it can be him.
2: I think that when you look at Mankata, he is a guy. Now, the interesting thing with him is going to be base dealers, It is with Mankata is his value going to be such that at some point there's going to be kind of the you know what don't 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 go every time that you feel like you can do it because you're too valuable to us as a team. Billy Hamilton is told to steal because. If right. Billy that Hamilton the doesn't steal, yeah. okay, then you know what, we want you on the, we're, you're going to be on the bench anyway. That's right. Ain't got but you but Mankata is a guy, especially someone that big, that physical, that sometimes, you know, he's the guy who could end up going 30-30 at some point. Right. And then, but before too long, you go, you know what, only pick your spots. We don't, we yeah. don't want you spraining an ankle, you know, jamming a finger and missing a month.
1: He could wind up being that player. I mean, I, I don't. I don't know what the floor is for Johan Moncada. I don't know what his floor is. The floor
2: is is that I. I do think there. I don't think it's Ruben Rivera.
1: I don't think he has that bust ability. But but the one thing about it is, is that he the stuck tough,
2: out a lot this year. The tough thing we have, and he did show improve. He's shown improvements. Each of the because he was horrible for the first. People forget first half of the side league season last right. year. He was. He was, he was nothing not like anymore. what we expect Yohan Mankata. And then he caught up to the league. <coughs> it, was, he,
1: it was at first, it was kind of like, what's all this fuss about? Why they spend all this money? And
2: then he dominated that league. This year, he didn't have that same issue at high A or double A. But I'm not shocked that 21-year-old Yohan Mankata, who was also having to learn a new position defensively at and, the
1: time. And a new culture and, and a new language.
2: That he was over his head a little bit. But when you say floor, the toughest thing with his floor is is that again, it's a difference of where he is on the team he's on. The floor—it's hard to say where the floor is until we know what he's going to do defensively.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, because if he's
2: a left fielder, then the floor is a lot higher than if he's a third baseman or a second baseman. Even really? if second baseman is now, even though right now left field, you know, production wise is worse than second base, but still, right. But it is something where not knowing where he's going to play. And the reality of it is knowing not knowing what kind of
1: defensive excuse me. What is he kind going of defensive to provide value, value or is he going because I think we look at Andrew Benintendi and say he would be a he would bring you value as a solid defender in center field if you were a center fielder. And as a left bring fielder, you, he
2: should be one of the best left fielders in the game.
1: Defensively he should mm-hmm. be, and offensively he might be as well in today's game. I mean, there's just not a lot of great left fielders. So No, he could be I so It would not
2: surprise is, me if he was a top five left fielder in the game next year. Because, right. so. You know, for most, so few good left field right. so
1: from a value standpoint um, it's really hard to figure out so uh, last thing JJ because we should wrap up we're over the 40 minute mark um, <laughs> and we both fun. have work to do uh, Anderson Espinoza gone not forgotten but he, his trade does this back half of this top 10 and 11 to 30 for the Red Sox it's not they're, they're not the depth organization I mean like when you have your 2013 first rounder trade ball just kind of you I know I'd say like he's kind of puts it around the minor leagues when you had guys like, you know, Travis Lakens had a pretty rough year this year for the Red Sox uh, as they're – and one of the guys that they really liked out of last year's draft. He just really didn't have a great year. I mean, Brian Johnson had a lost year. Uh, Marco Hernandez is a – is a, a utility guy. He's a utility guy. Josh
2: Ockaby had a great first half, a terrible second half. Right.
1: you hit two sixty when it's all said and done. So, I, I mean, two twenty six. I mean, when it's all yes. said and done. He wished he hit two sixty. Um this is a Do you have a pick the click? Who's lower down here, or is there? Or, or do you not? Again, do you not mind that it's kind of a top-heavy organization? I, like,
2: I don't. From the standpoint that again, with the Red Sox, they're they're an organization, and it's, we've seen this with the Yankees for years. It's it's difficult. It does. It is actually a challenge for a front office in that you do not have the room. And we talked. This we're talking about with Blake Swihart, right? I know they were a last place organization last year. They didn't play. They were not playing. the The Braves are the Braves and the Twins and those teams played because they knew they were going to be last place organizations. And what I mean by that is, is that you that gives you the ability to give at bats, to give innings to guys, and let them settle in.
1: It did have that opportunity. The that Red Sox did in 2015, and they did do that. I mean, they, that, that's what they did. I mean, but they.
2: Because when did when did they give the up second, last? Oh,
1: well, in the second half. They second half, they gave saying, up, and that's right. when they played Blake Swihart.
2: But what they don't generally have though is, is that and
1: Travis Shaw. I played a lot of guys,
2: right. but what they generally do not have, the Yankees are the same thing. The Yankees did manage this year; they got went through the same thing finally, where it's like, you know what, we got to go with the young guys because we're not, and it ended up working out very well for them, Gary Sanchez and all. But right, those organizations do not. If you've got a guy, is like, ah, oh, this guy might be a regular, he might not there's less opportunities for that kind of guy to get 300, 400 bats than there is. No question. And so with that, the Ben Attendees of the world are the kind of guys who you just go all in. Okay, he shows up, and day one, he's in the lineup every day pretty much. Right. And you say, yep, and he's going to be able to hit the ground running. The one that fits this, like Sam Travis, I'll be fascinated. Right. In in, In a lot of organizations, Sam Travis is number six on this list. In a lot of organizations, Sam Travis would right now be going. Well, that's my job. Right. I know that hey, there's David a,
1: Ortiz is retiring. Hayley Ramirez is not a great defender at first base. He could go to DH, and I could go to. First that's first my base. job. That's right. And if but I he's, hit, I get that job. But
2: he's a Red Sox, and so he has to know right now that there is a. He's a Red Sox, and Dave Dombrowski's the GM. Yeah. He has to know right now that there is a decent likelihood that when it's all said and done, whether it's. Edwin Encarnasse, the owner, someone, someone in free agency or whatever, they're going to acquire someone who is going to be, he is actually going to be further, he may be further away right. from an everyday big league job in Boston at the end of the offseason now than he was coming into the year when they had David Ortiz. Because at least in David Ortiz' case, he could go, well, we don't know how well Hanley's going to do at first base coming into the year. Yeah. And David Ortiz is probably his last year. Yes, Now, <coughs> they acquire a free agent he may be blocked for
1: two to three years. And besides that, Travis Shaw showed you he's cromulent. He's not – he didn't do it over a full season, but he's had a year and a half in the big leagues now where he's, he's hit for some power. He's shown you some things that you – know, he's done more than Travis Shaw has done. And you still have – You Yeah, I mean, tra- uh, tra- uh, yeah, Sam Travis. Sam Travis, thank you. Travis Shaw, Sam Travis. Both uh, Midwestern guys, yeah. too. Um, but you also have this – and I mean big matzo ball hanging out there, Pablo Sandoval, who's under contract – and what do you do And somewhere he and Salacious Crumb are hanging out and figuring out what they're going to do in 2017, you know? Um, and, I mean, and the thing about it is, is that oh, 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 you Pablo. never
2: know. It is also true of Pablo Sandoval as horrible.
1: He's bounced back from worse.
2: <laughs> it, is, it is not insane to think that Pablo, San, Pablo Sandoval could show up Forty pounds lighter next spring,
1: or twenty pounds heavier, and still come out there and rake.
2: <laughs> right. But if he's forty pounds lighter, he actually maybe able will play third base too. You just never know. You never know with him.
1: He might decide, you know, I'm going to show up and play first base and throw left handed this year. You know, because <laughs> he can do it. So we just have no idea. So that's it's just a great so number. So, but
2: that's my point is, is that the Sam Travis of the world. It is right. going to be harder for those guys. Right. It's going to be harder for Mauricio Dubon. If Mauricio Dubon was in the Angels system. He might be number one. He might be number one. And in this system, you go well. I mean, I don't. He, See, his he hope, nice, his he, hope is to beat out Marco Hernandez to be the backup to be the utility guy.
1: He has a nice future, I think, in this organization as the utility guy, and that's nothing. There's absolutely not, no. There's, there's nothing wrong, wrong with that.
2: that. But the thing about this is that him and another organization would be a regular.
1: Yeah, and have a chance to be an everyday second baseman or shortstop.
2: But for this organization, he could be a valuable – And we've also seen that those backups it's nowadays kind of are are very valuable, yeah. and you can get 350, 400 at bats.
1: I agree. We need to get this podcast done with. We could go all day, and we will not do that. But we will come back tomorrow, presumably with Josh Norris, our own Ice Bear, joining us to talk Yankees prospects tomorrow. So I'm going to guess that there's not a lot of crossover appeal in today's podcast, Red Sox, and the Yankees podcast tomorrow. No,
2: no, no. I will tell you right now. All right. The Yankees fans listen to this one. They hate listen. They hate listen so that they can then say that their system's better. And the Red Sox listened to the Yankees one, so they could have ammunition. Like, I mean, it's a never-ending, you know. And especially, it's now a never-ending year-round battle that actually is, it's never going to be on even footing. I mean, again. Close. Pretty close. If you're talking about all time. But right now, when you say it, yes, it is on, it is something where, if you talk about the 21st century Red Sox versus the 21st century Yankees, it's an actual it's, it's not Red Sox. Yeah, and it's not, you know, one side basically completely just beating up on little brother.
1: Correct. It is flippity flopped in a lot of ways. So, uh, great stuff JJ. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Back tomorrow with another podcast here at baseballamerica.com. Dave Slade take us out. This concludes
2: our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit baseballamerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage